Hello, um, I'm here um, with Jim McDonald um, from, for another episode of the Novum Insightful. Um, Jim is the first uh, repeat guest we're having on this podcast, which is great. Um, and the reason is he, he's one of the few people that I know who vaguely understands uh, the, the, the sort of technical underpinnings of uh, uh, behind the merge. Um, so, so really keen to uh, get in touch with him and find out um, all of the latest that we should be watching as Ethereum finally, hopefully, um, moves to proof of stake in, in a month or so, um, or less than that. Um, so, so, Jim, uh, welcome welcome again to the Novum Insightful. How are you doing? It's great to be back. Yeah, doing very, very well. Obviously, it's a little bit of a stressful time now, end of August, with the merge happening in the middle of September. So there's there's a lot going on. There are a lot of moving parts. It's the culmination of many years worth of work across many different teams and different people. So yeah, it's a it's a very exciting time, certainly. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. So 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 what what I mean, there's there's obviously sort of uh the entire sort of crypto world at the moment is is sort of focusing in lots of different ways on on the merge i mean sort of how 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 confident are you that it will go smoothly and and what what's your sort of uh what what's the main things that are concerning you as as we come towards the merge so technically speaking the merge is a done and done and dusted it's a deal right we have been running test merges behind the scenes for roughly every week or two weeks now for four months um it's it's uh, technically speaking it's a process that we understand very well and it works so it, will the merge go ahead yeah it will um that clock is already ticking there's nothing really that we're going to do to stop that Will it move perfectly? Maybe not. There's always the operational pieces. So the merge is an incredibly complex beast when it when we look from the perspective of the operations. There are four or five execution clients. There are four or five consensus clients. They all need to be able to talk to each other. Uh, they're all, relatively speaking, moving targets. There's last-minute work being done on them, polishing, fixing minor bugs and similar. So the, the support matrix, if you will, is far, far larger for this than it has been for basically any other cryptocurrency project ever, as far as I'm aware. Um, you know, we don't normally see independent implementations of the protocol happening on other chains. Uh, if you look at Bitcoin, it's had maybe two, I think. There was the original code, there was the trail of bits code. Um, when you look at Ethereum, then as we said, you know, we have multiple different versions. And now that we have multiple different versions, talking to multiple different versions, we said there's you know, 30, 40 different combinations that can that can be involved. Because of that, we don't expect every single one of them to be perfect. Um, so there will be what we would say a drop-off in participation on the network. Some people just won't be paying attention. You know, although we're very excited about the merge, some people set their Ethereum systems up five years ago and forgot about them, right? So there's going to be areas where some people haven't updated their systems properly. They won't be able to follow the merge chain. Um, there will likely be, like we say, minor client bugs, minor configuration issues and similar. So will the merge happen? Absolutely. Will it be seamless? 
from the point of view of a user, probably, but from the point of view of the, the back end on the network, we're going to see a slight degradation until people realize there are problems, get involved and, and fix them and update them. So one of the big things that's happening as we get closer to the verge is making sure we have you know communication channels out there so people can reach out to people. There's a lot on Discord, uh, Ethereum, the foundation are doing a lot with our blogs and talking to people there. We're seeing a lot of talk on Twitter because we know that when the merge happens, there will be a number of people who have some kind of issue, like we say, configuration issue, they just forgot to update in time, whatever it may be, that will need to be addressed so we can get our participation back up to the very healthy levels that it is at the moment. Yeah, no, fantastic. And in in terms of um, sort of how, like in, in terms of where we think about it, in, the scenario planning almost is sort of my gut is that the the sort of the the bigger dApps and, and those kind of things will be very up to speed pretty much hopefully planning for this pretty seamlessly the likes of uniswap uh of a uh open all the usual names that that i guess most activity is going on uh it, at least in the trading on mainnet ethereum um but then you sort of there's all these sort of like man and a dog type operations and um what happens to them and are there sort of pitfalls that that when the when these sort of things that users have probably been some of these groups can be transacting 25 million and run by two people out of the bedroom or whatever you know it's sort of um, what what happens to um those that's will there be vulnerabilities in them and i guess um sort of I, where we've been thinking where vulnerabilities will almost suddenly arise that it seems to happen are things like bridges and things like that where where um for whatever reason it just um, um they've been very insecure over, over time so. sure sure so for a, for a DAP that runs on Ethereum, we would not expect to see any significant changes for them. Now, there are a couple of minor alterations to some of the opcodes purely because some of the opcodes don't make any sense anymore. If people have been misusing and abusing some of these opcodes, there might be an issue. So I'll give you an example. There's uh, an opcode for difficulty. Um, that tells you the current difficulty of the of the um, you know, the mining process. Obviously, that goes to zero because we're not mining anymore. If someone was using that, in some way to say generate a random number or something like that, then that's going to be a problem. But normally speaking, for any normal DAP that just does normal things on the chain, there shouldn't be a problem. Um, the fact that we've moved our consensus system from proof of stake to proof of work should make no difference to most users, as you say, on the execution chain. And that's that's something that was very, very important, um, even to the point where some people who are well known who who were abusing some bits in, in Ethereum, we've we've kind of managed to support in a, in a way. So again, random number generation is is a common area where people look at things like um, the mix hash or other similar sort of opcodes internally in a way of trying to say, hey, you know, we've we got a random number. Well, it's not a random number, but they were using it as such. But we're going to support it where we can. So. Normally speaking, you know, if you're you know, two men and a dog in, in someone's bedroom, then realistically, you probably haven't mucked around with the EVM to the point where that kind of thing is going to be an issue for you. Um, in fact, there have been scans run of the entire set of smart contracts on the chain and the 
the areas where this could have an impact are very, very minimal. And those people, as far as I'm aware, have already been contacted and we've discussed mitigation. So we, we wouldn't expect there to be any real change for DAP developers. Now, there are a few bits that hopefully will be a bit better. Blocks will be more regular. So at the moment, you can, you know, blocks are like buses, right? You can get three blocks in four seconds and you have to wait a minute for the next one. Um, you will have a much more regular block system. So with Ethereum based on proof of stake, there should be one block every 12 seconds. It's possible that someone will miss a block. At current, we're seeing maybe two-ish percent of all blocks are missed on the consensus side. But generally speaking, you will find blocks are a lot more regular. That allows people to do much easier calculation. For example, they can you know, work roughly out how long it's been since a certain block. If you're doing time-based auctions, that becomes easier. Um, but but again, you know, you don't have that mad rush for saying when's the next block going to be. So, for example, if you're generating a transaction, you will know there is a point before which it won't be included. So, let's say you're you're you know, your first block your first block turns up between 0 seconds and 12 seconds into a minute well once that blocks there you know there's no other block going to turn up in that time period so you can say okay well you know it's turned up 2 seconds past the the minute i know i've got 10 seconds in which i can go away build my new transaction put it out there onto the chain before someone then can include it in the next block so there are areas like that where things become actually a lot easier for DAP developers, for people who are using DAPs as well and just carrying out transaction, everything from traders to people trying to do arbitrage and find the next great MEV opportunity to whatever it might be out there. So there are areas like that that actually are a little bit easier for them. Um, the regularity of blocks also means that we should see fewer empty blocks. So one of the things we see on Ethereum commonly is a block is brushed out without any transactions in it. That generally happens because of the way that proof of work or you know, works again. It is this uh, probabilistic system, you know, pick a number. If you get lucky and you've got the right number, you found a block. Of course, people will start doing that even before they have transactions in the block. So because of that, we see a percentage of blocks turning up empty. That's a massive waste of space. We don't like that. If we can avoid it, we'd like to. Proof of stake again tries to help that. So we would hope that for 95% of app developers and, of course, users of the chain, they will see no difference whatsoever. Um, maybe a slightly enhanced experience, but but nothing, you know, that was never the aim of what we're doing. So it's not going to be something that would be a massive, obvious uh, thing for them. We would probably see 2 or 3% of people who need to make some minor tweaks or just rethink about what they're doing if they're doing something bad. Um, and then, you know, there's always 1% or 2% out there that might have some some more serious issues. But again, you know, we've looked at those early on. The nice thing with the chain is all the information's out there. You can scan the contracts, understand what the issues are, and, and get out in front of them. So uh, we do not expect to see much in terms of a bad reaction from developers, and we certainly hope that we're going to see a good reaction from them. Yeah, and and I think the um, I guess the hope of many um, sort of users may be that it would get faster and gas costs would go down. But what I'm hearing from you is yes, the block might be a bit faster, but but the the usability won't won't be massively improved at the layer one. 
No, and, th- and this is this is one of those things that people often say, you know, well, it'll, it'll be cheaper. Well, it might be a bit cheaper. Like we said, we would expect to, because of how we're doing blocks, we would expect the capacity of the chain to increase, but it's minimal. It's 3 4%, something like that, we reckon. Um, but what this does is this paves the way for us being able to do all of the cool things later on that allow us to then create much higher capacity on the chain as well as off the chain. Um and that's that's very very important. So the merge, although it's very large and being spoken about a lot, is just one of a number of improvements is coming to Ethereum. So one of the biggest one is probably stateless Ethereum. Um, again, still very much under discussion, under development. A lot of these things require additional crypto, additional maths that we don't have yet, or we're just designing now. But those are the things that will allow us to massively increase the gas in in a single block. Um, moving to layer two now, a lot of people talk about you know, well, if we're moving to layer two. It means that layer one and Ethereum has failed. Well, it, it really doesn't. Um, it means that we found a way of providing the security that people need because ultimately you don't need to have a transaction on chain that says, I sent Toby $1. All you need to know is that it's secured by that chain because if you've got that, that's good enough. It's the same thing. You know, it's, it, it, it's the proof of what's happened. And that's a, that's a really important differentiation that a lot of people don't see. Um, one of the things I try and liken it to commonly is, is Linux. If you go back 20, 25 years, then every home router, every camera, every phone, every car had its own operating system. And each of these operating systems were custom built very painfully, very slowly, very expensively. It was a complete waste of time and effort before anyone could go and build the actual functionality that people wanted on top. We're kind of seeing that with Ethereum. Once we have a strong Ethereum base layer, everyone can just build on top of it. So in the same way as today, when you pick up a phone, it probably runs Linux. When you pick up a camera, it probably runs Linux. You sit in a car, it probably runs Linux. Because guess what? No one wants to actually build an operating system anymore. They just want to build useful things on top of it. We expect to see a similar thing with Ethereum where people stop worrying about building their own consensus engine, building their own security system. And instead, they they build application layer chains and use Ethereum to have the consensus, the security, and similar on top of that. That is the stage at which we will see massive, massive increases. But we will see, as you said, you know, a, a small amount of increase, sure, in, in, in capacity. It probably won't be noticeable massively. Um, but that is, you know, we're, we're, we're building toward that on a step-by-step basis. And, you know, would we love to be shipping that with a merge? Absolutely. But, you know, to do that, we'd need to delay the merge for another two years. And, you know, ultimately, the bigger a project gets, the more likely it is to fail. We're shipping piece by piece. And you know, we are shipping what is being internally known as the minimum viable merge. You know, the pieces that we need to do this, it works and it gives us a really strong platform on which to build for the next release and the next release and the next release after that. And I, I've been reading sort of what, what happens to the proof of work chain in theory after sharding, but what happens to the proof of work chain before sharding? It's kind of question that so, so 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 when we get to september the 15th we're going to move yeah. to, to to proof of stake and what that means is that all of the standard ethereum clients out there all of the nodes mm. that are holding blockchain information and similar will look for their next block not from the network not from the peer-to-peer network where people are generating blocks and sending them out but it will look for the block from the consensus layer 
So this is the Ethereum beacon chain that runs. Um, this is what has been running now for a year and a half, a bit more than that now. It started in, in the 1st of December, 2020, 2020, yeah, 2020. So it's been running for a while. We've been very comfortable with how it works, but it will now start including execution layer blocks. And those execution layer blocks will be incorporated into the Ethereum chain. Can people still run miners? Sure, but no one's listening to them. And this is this is the the critical feature, is that you can generate blocks. Of course, you can generate blocks. Anyone can, can carry on doing that according to the rules of the protocol. But the point of the merge is that those rules change. We don't listen anymore to the blocks that come off the, the mind chain. Instead, we listen to the ones that come from the, the proof of stake chain and that different consensus system. Um, you know, can people change? The code to continue to listen to the mind mind blocks. Yeah, sure they can. Um, but Ethereum, like every other chain, is ultimately down to the will of the users that actually use it. And they have been pretty clear that they want to move to proof of stake. Um, they're aware of the benefits. Like we said, it's a step on the road to massive scalability. It provides much higher levels of protection for their own funds. It provides much higher levels of consistency in terms of block times. It provides much higher levels of security in terms of the potential cost to attack the network. For all of these reasons, they're all agreeing to use the software that will listen to the consensus layer and move to proof of stake on September 15th. So, you know, like we said, you know, can someone run a chain? Sure, they can. They can keep running it. Um, there are people out there who are saying they're going to do so. Um, ultimately, it comes down to the users. Which one do they want to use? And from everything we've heard so far, the vast majority of people will be on the proof of stake chain. Um, certainly anyone who has any value uh, will be on that proof of stake chain. So um, again, you know, obviously it's a consensus system. It's it's down to what people want to do, um, but we strongly believe that we are going in the right direction with proof of stake and that the, you know, basically everyone that matters will be following us. Yeah, and it's um it is it is interesting. Obviously, um there's a whole bunch of uh um I guess it crypto being crypto, right? That people will always attempt to do a fork, and um, there are obviously the miners are uh, um, with all these GPUs have their sunk costs. So, so I'm sure um, there's a lot of vested interest that will be trying to make this sort of um, new Ethereum work chain or whatever. Um, um, keep them running but it's it yeah it's, it's sort of i think a lot of people uh talking with a lot more people on the sort of speculator trading side their sort of view is well great it's an airdrop um and then everyone's opinion is uh, oh i'm getting a new financial asset and did quite well when bitcoin cash and whatever forked um and just sold my bitcoin cash or maintained it and played around with it um but it's um yeah it'll be interesting how that pans out but it's um and and i think that there are still many opportunities for certainly gpus in the world of crypto so i mentioned briefly mev the idea that you can look at transactions and then mine them to find additional value opportunities um, when we move to more layer two systems, then there will be calculation of very heavy mathematical proofs required 
that again can be can be speeded up with with things like GPUs. Um, there there is always going to be a space for computation that pays purely because the amount of work that needs to be done means that there are opportunities out there. But um, yeah, I, I, I think honestly that trying to keep Ethereum running in a proof of work is is probably relatively wasteful. I think the the problem with miners is they have to pay their electricity costs. So ultimately, you know, although they have a sunk cost on the GPU, if their bill for electricity at the end of the month is a thousand bucks, they better have made a thousand bucks somewhere to be able to pay that bill or what are they doing? So there are other opportunities out there for them. And I think, you know, and I certainly hope that they'll embrace some of those. I think some of them are very, very important as well for the long-term health of, of Ethereum. Um, I just don't think that they are in mining the, the layer one chain. Um, so I, I would hope that a lot of people will recognize that relatively quickly and find better uses for for their GPUs than you know some of these ideas, like you said, where, where people are coming up with. And these aren't new ideas, right? I mean, if you go back and look at all of the previous forks upgrades for Ethereum, um, you know, the last major one was probably 1559 when when um fees were to miners were reduced significantly. Miners weren't happy about that. And so they forked a chain. It was called Ethereum Genesis, I believe. And it lasted about four hours, if I if I remember correctly, because, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a nice idea, but the chain isn't there for miners. And when we go to proof of stake, yeah. the chain isn't there for validators. The chain is there for its users. And if people aren't going to use it, it just has no value. And And, and you know, it's something that Certainly, as a community, we always have to remember, regardless of the cryptocurrency, regardless of what you're trying to achieve, if people aren't going to use your system, then, you know, good luck with it surviving any amount of time. You've, you've got to build what people want. And that's what, again, we, we believe we're going toward. If we truly believe that proof of stake was, was a cash grab or something to make rich people richer or anything else, then it only follows from that that the users would leave the system and it would die. So, you know, if that was what we truly thought, and you know, obviously it's one of the good examples of, 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 the, of the things that are put out there, we we wouldn't be doing it because it would be blatantly obvious that that ends with the, with the death of the chain. So everything we do, we believe, is for the long-term survival and sustainability of the chain, which ultimately means it does help its users in some way, shape, or form. And that's something that, you know, I, I think it's really important not to lose sight of. Yeah, and inter interestingly, obviously, um, the, the, as ever with any change, um, it it sort of will be concentrating power in different sort of areas in terms of how the network's validated and that kind of thing. I think there's been quite a lot of said by the likes of Lido and Coinbase and whoever making up quite a lot of the sort of substantial validators on on the POS chain. How 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 do you see like people are arguing that that's leading to more centralization or or whatever what what do you make of that so yeah i mean i mean there there are various views on this um i mean one is certainly that regardless even at the worst reading of the of the current validator distribution it's more distributed than the proof of work environment so you know that's one way of looking at it but equally a lot of what is said doesn't necessarily take into account the the real understanding of how this stuff works. Lido is a great example. Lido holds approximately 30% of all validators, but Lido doesn't really exist. Lido is a DAO. 
And the people who do the work underneath Fido, it's a group of 27, 28 node operators, each holding about 1% of the network. Now, could they all get together and collude? Sure, they can. But, you know, any 28% of the network could get together and collude. You know, just because they're under a certain banner doesn't make it more likely they'll do so. And in fact, commonly makes it less likely they'll do so because they recognize that actually they're onto a pretty good thing as it stands. So, you know, they, they'd be far less likely to actually create an environment where, where things could, could go wrong. Now, you know, ultimately, again, we're a consensus system. Any amount of any consensus system has a, a tipping point at which things will go wrong. If you have X percent of bad actors, then things will stop in some way, shape or form. But again, Ethereum was very much built to try and avoid situations of primarily censorship but secondly, finality. So if, for example, a bunch of, let's say, you know, we got 30% of validators, or say 40% of validators all got together and said, well, we're, we're going to do X. You know, what, how bad could X be? Well, you know, there are limits. They could stop validating. They could say we refuse to include certain transactions. They could try censoring the network. So there's, there's various scenarios of what they could do. But again, Ethereum has been designed such that regardless of what they do, the chain will carry on going. Um, you know, if 40% of the validators try and, and block a transaction, that's great. They can do that, but it won't last. You know, eventually one of the 60% will propose it, it'll get through. By the way, that's true even if that number's, you know, 60% trying to censor something. Eventually something will come through. Because of the way the system works is you have to eventually decide to refuse point blank to carry on validating or you have to validate a chain that involves that transaction. So as long as you have even a minimal number of, of good actors in the environment, then you will be eventually safe. Now, we'd rather censorship resistance was much stronger than that, that you know, if I wanted to put a transaction in that everyone else on the planet didn't like, I would still be able to do that in a timely fashion. Um, because it's not our job. Again, you know, we're, we're a base layer. It's not our job to say what is good and what is bad. Um, you know, what is good may be looked at as one country, by another as bad, by another as illegal, by another one as, as something that's actually critical to it. So, you know, we, we, can't, we can't go there and, and do that. And again, the decentralization of Ethereum in terms of the different clients and the different geographies in which they operate means that we have a, a relatively strong resistance already built in. But yes, the protocol layer is one where we have to keep working at that. Now, we do believe that proof of stake gives us significant benefits over proof of work in terms of that as well. In proof of work, you could always replace a chain. It's a probabilistic issue, but if someone went out and bought significantly more computing power, they could replace the chain to an arbitrary depth. With proof of stake, you cannot do that without burning through a significant amount of money, and we're talking many billions. And when you do that, you get a one-shot. You get to do that once, and then you burn your billions, and then you're gone and you're out of the game, and it's up to the next person, right? So you can't control the chain in the same way as, as, as you could with proof of work. Now, again, there's lots of arguments back and forth, and I'm not going to sit here and say that proof of stake is you know, unilaterally better than any other system out there. Does it have weaknesses? Sure. Does it have compromises? Of course it does. All systems have to compromise between these ideas of things like liveness and finality. You know, How, how quickly do you want the chain to update versus how how quickly or how far back do you want to be able to go without saying we definitely won't be able to alter this? There's, you know, an implicit trade-off there. So there's all these different things that, that, that come into play, but certainly we feel very comfortable with where we are today with proof of stake. You know, it's by no means, again, it's final iteration. There are lots of things we can change. There are areas where 
we know the system can be attacked. Can it be fully subverted? No, but it can be damaged. And we want to be able to address those too. So all of these start coming into play as well. But certainly we, we recognize some of the comments around proof of stake being worse than, than proof of work. Many of them we don't agree with. Many of them we think actually apply equally to proof of work and proof of stake, but there are real ones out there, absolutely. Um, what I don't think there are are any of those real issues with proof of stake out there that are not on the roadmap to be fixed. And I think that's probably the most important thing. Fascinating, fascinating. Um, so, um, yeah, and uh, it's sort of, ha have you seen many instances of slashing and um, how they played out in, in the beacon chain as it currently exists? Kind of? So there have been a number of instances of slashing. Um, so slashing is a very specific technical item where someone basically tries to cheat on the chain. Um, commonly, it's, you know, I said something happened, then I said it didn't happen, or I said this happened, then something else happened. Um, However, underlying that is a very technical configuration of what that really means, because the chain has no idea of intention. So ultimately, we have seen a number of slashings on the beacon chain. However, they have all been down to user error misconfigurations. Um, the most common thing you, that we've seen is you have two different computers running the same key, basically speaking with the same voice and saying different things. If we see that, that is a slashing because we don't know it's a misconfiguration. It could be the start of an attack. And so the chain is definitely doing what it should be doing in terms of it spotting these issues, these potential attacks, and then shutting them down very quickly. The reality is, is none of them really are attacks. Like we said, every, everyone we've managed to track down has been a user misconfiguration. Um, they always come in dribs and drabs, maybe one validator, two validators who, who show this problem. Um, and, and like we said, you know, to, to currently attack the chain, you'd need to do this over roughly 150,000 validators. So, you know, you know that these aren't real attacks. It's always possible that they're probe attacks that someone's saying, oh, I misconfigured, I'm sorry, when they're actually seeing if this stuff's active and working. Um, but it is working. And that's a very, very important point. So we can see again that the, the, the defense mechanisms we have in place are active, are operational. Uh, you know, it's always sad to see someone get slashed and lose a chunk of money if they've, they've done it accidentally. However, it's very useful for us to confirm, as we said, that these systems are running. And if this was a probe attack to see actually if the system's awake and spotting slashings, the good news is it is. Yeah, great. So fascinating. You've never been caught the wrong side of that uh, testament, anyway. Absolutely <laughs> not. No, uh, we we care very much about security of our funds. So uh, we we are fully aware of the issues that can arise, and we make sure we never put ourselves in a situation where it could happen. So again, being able to build redundancy without simple duplication is a good example. And things like that matter. They matter very much because. If you don't do that, then ultimately you are going to get caught out. Um, and again, that 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 works at a at a level. Uh, you know, a testament is is sort of the child of, of of various people who sat down and said we'd like to stake our ether. Um, these are all people who have deep experience in in the crypto industry, and they were like, well, how could we build a system that's resilient to all of the issues that we know will crop up? Uh, so being able to do that really, really matters, and it's very, very important to us. But yeah, it's it, it, um it's something that you know it's, it's always loved. You know, no one's going to sit here and go, yeah, we'll never get slashed. It's fine. Um, but we have a significant level of security in place. We have 
all sorts of mitigations in place and we don't even trust them. So actually it's possible that if we did get slashed, then we have systems that will, you know, dead man switch and shut stuff down automatically. So, you know, it's always important to do security in depth, have multiple layers and similar. Um, but certainly we're, we're very comfortable with where we are that, as we said, when we look at all of the rationale and the reasons where slashings have occurred, they're not things that apply to, uh, to a testament because of how they've built their infrastructure. Yeah, no. and I guess a lot has been said, and, and I think Vitalik's being quite sort of um, vocal on this point that uh, on the sort of, uh, I guess it's it there's a sort of moral reason as well as sort of design choices to to reduce the cost of electricity of the Ethereum network, and um, I guess the the counterpoint of that is that those GPUs that are in existence are going to be used somewhere else anyway. Um, but I don't know what what your thoughts are on 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 those sort of uh, I guess kind of uh, climate change, electricity debates, and those kind of things. I mean, my my view is pretty simple. You know, less electricity usage is better. Um, yeah. I'm I'm sitting in a house and checking my electricity bills, and the price is going up. Now, the price of electricity doesn't go up because someone feels like putting the price up. It reflects an underlying cost to everyone who needs to use energy. And I think that it's very important that that value comes down significantly because that energy is used to heat people's home and cook people's food. Uh, you know, it's, it's great that we're sitting and playing with, you know, expensive graphics cards and ASICs and all this kind of stuff. But fundamentally, the price of electricity needs to be as low as it, as it possibly can for everyone. Um, electricity has been one of the world's great enablers. Uh, and I, I think that it's very, very important we keep its price as low as possible if we can do stuff to reduce the, the, the usage of electricity and as a result, hopefully bring the price down a tiny bit, even if only a tiny bit. I think that's very, very important by itself. So, um, you know, again, when we talked about proof of stake initially, you go back five years, six years, seven years, whatever it might be now, that wasn't on the agenda. The point was to have something that was more sustainable in general. Um, the fact that it uses less electricity wasn't a key feature. It was the ability to be able to balance out the the costs in general of securing a chain versus the costs that you would then have to pay out on the chain to to balance out the, the cost spent. You know, if you're spending a hundred dollars to secure the chain, if you get paid one hundred and ten dollars to do that, you'll do it. If you get paid fifty dollars to do it, you won't. So there's a the, the, if you can reduce the cost of the chain, you increase the number of people who are willing to secure it and willing to provide that that additional work. So yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it, it, it wasn't you know the key driver, but I think certainly in this day and age, it's a very very important one, and I'm certainly very happy to see that it will have an impact at least you know internally inside itself. We've seen reductions. Quoted at something like ninety nine point nine five percent. That seems like a, a, a reasonable number when you when you look at the cost of, of um, running the existing ASICs and and, and their uh, you know the the tarahash usage of the on the on the chain as it stands for the mining chain. So yeah, I mean, obviously very very happy it's doing that. Um, I like I said, you know, it, I, I don't think it's a compunction for the chain itself however for those involved in it i think it's a, it's a great win and something that certainly i'm very happy to see fantastic well um i guess we'll we'll be very excited to see what happens over the next three weeks and uh, it could be the a great moment for ethereum i'd say so we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens
Absolutely. It's it's a start. Like we said, you know, it might be perfectly smooth. It might be a little bit bumpy, but either way, it's um, it's a start of the next step in the Ethereum roadmap. And I think that there's not only, you know, the merge we looked at as the start, you know, this is, this is where things get exciting. Um, and equally, you know, we we want Ethereum to stop being talked about so much, maybe. Um, again, just going back to to Linux, you know, Linus said, uh, you know, I want I want Linux to be boring. I, I, I don't I don't I, you know I don't want this to be talked about. I want it to just happen quietly in the background. And again, if you think 20, 25 years ago, there were so many articles about the kernel and updates and changes, and this was happening and that was happening. You don't hear anything about it. It just ticks along in the background. We want to get to that stage where this ticks along in the background, doing its own thing, and it enables others to build lots of cool, exciting things on top of it that you know hopefully we'll we'll get around to doing that whole changing the world thing. Yeah, amazing. Well well um definitely a good point to end. Let's change the world together. So. Fantastic. Sounds good. <laughs>